opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Return the Jewels. Also, there's explicit language. Hey everyone, welcome to the ninth episode of Return the Jewels. Uh, today's a very special one. Uh, we're still, I guess, in a contested election result, even though everyone knows who the winner is. Um, so, you know, that's where we are. This uh, episode we recorded uh, before we had uh, the Electoral College results in. So it was, um, it was a pretty shaky time. Um, but uh, it's a good episode. We have uh, a special guest a friend of the podcast, very good friend of the podcast. Uh, her anglicized name is Natalie Alcar, which you will, um, I guess you'll hear at the beginning of the interview. But, um, well, you'll hear the interview and see how she really says it. Cause I, uh, you can tell how, by how apprehensive I'm being that I don't uh, really want to screw it up. So uh, anyways, uh, Natalie is a very, uh, She's a, she's a rising star comedian, but she's also been on a lot of stages, been touring. Uh, she's got a couple credits to her name, I'm sure, probably. Uh, if not, by the time this is out, I'm sure she will. Um, you know, she's been all around comedy clubs all around the U.S. She Lebanade, <laughs> she immigrated from Lebanon uh, a few years ago, so... She's, you know, navigating not only just living in America uh, as an immigrant, but, you know, doing this profession where it's a very, it's a self, a lot of self-expression and uh, identity forging in a foreign country. And she's killing it. She's great. You should look her up. Uh, really funny. And um, seriously, seriously, she's, she's, a, she's making moves in this um, industry. Um, anyways, check her out, uh, put up all her social media and everything, and you can find her. Uh, I am wasting your time right now, so I'm just going to go to the interview. Hey, so now we have Natalie Oker here. Did I say that right? Yeah. I mean, there's not really a wrong way to say it. What, how does your mom say it? I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's pronounced in Arabic, Aukar. 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 Okay. I, it's <laughs> on. It's you, on whatever yeah. you say in, in, in English is, is correct. I saw a thing yesterday by, uh, you know, Luisa. She's, a, she's like a booker. Luisa Diaz, if mm -hmm. people want to follow her. She had a thing about how, like, you know, people people misgendering transgender people or, or fucking up pronouns. It's like, it's surprising because you say your last name as an anglicized fucked up version and you've internalized that. Right. Something. I'm, I don't know if I'm doing justice to her tweet, but you know, she, she got to that point because like, even on an earlier episode of this, I was having a conversation about how I've always introduced myself as uh, love agrawal. Yeah. But really it's like agrawal. And I never have said agrawal because I knew that it would be difficult to see an A and think of it like a U sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, I did. You, 
you came to this country as a young adult. Yeah, I came here like five years ago almost. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Shit, I didn't realize it's that recent. Yeah. So you coming here and fitting in on like, let's say that kind of energy, anglicizing your last name or everything about yourself. Like how quick did you feel like you had to do that? Or do you do that? Um, I think so. I did. I so I moved here um, in 20 in, in late 2015, but mm -hmm. I did come here in 2006. My first time here was in 2006 during the war. So we had a war in Lebanon in 2006 and I came here. And I think that's when I officially anglicized my name. So I think it was then that we were saying, we we're telling people Alcar. Alcar. Yeah, because it's Alcar, Alcar. The, so yeah. the closest thing, because people didn't really know how to read it. Um, and I just never thought about it. I just never thought about it. So I don't know how we decided that. It, just, it was just like that in my name. And then when I came back, that's how I would, I would tell people. I would tell my name is Alcar. And then people would just butcher it every time they would read it. And then I thought about it for a second. And I was like, why is it Alcar? It's not really, that's not even it. So why would I, why does it matter if people say it differently? Because it's like the real pronunciation of it is in Arabic. So I don't care. And did you what really is not Uh huh. Did you really not care? No, I mean, I didn't care if people were saying Akur or Okar or Alkar or. Just call me Natalie. Yeah, I was like, just say whatever you want because actually every way you will say it in English technically is wrong anyway. Okay, is it pronounced Natalie? The Natalie is pronounced Natalie. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, in, in Lebanon they say Natalie. Not okay, okay. Yeah, right. So it's Natalia, but it is a it is a word. It is a name that you have in America, and people usually pronounce it Natalie. So um, I would say Natalie is the correct way of saying it because that's a name that people do have here, and it's pronounced Natalie. But it's just the Alcar. No one has it here. This is a specifically Lebanese last name. What if, starting from today? Everyone in this uh, community you're in, comedy community, starts saying Natalie, uh, okay. Natalie. 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 Right? Yeah. Everyone, but everyone approaches you with that energy, trying to get your name right. How would you feel? Would it be fucked up? Well, well it sounded like you were trying to hold a burp in, so. <laughs> I'm always trying to hold a burp in. So if that's the energy, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> I'm all for that energy. Oh, that's great. How um I guess so so that kind of like hesitation with the language or whatever that you think that's like akin to like like have you had like crazy fan energy approach you after shows? And I mentioned this in the intro that Natalie's a comedian working working comedian and touring and writer and all of that stuff, but like so do you get like crazy fan energy after shows? I wouldn't say I've reached that point in my career. <laughs> yeah, there's not even like crazy, like, like I've seen you post some like DMs sometimes that are like from like wacky, creepy fans. And it's, it's always hilarious. Um, but like, I'm sure it also takes a toll on you. <laughs> I've had, um, I've, I've had some, um, 
I don't, I don't think people really approach me in person as much as they do on social media. I don't know what it is about my energy, <laughs> but people what don't do feel you, as comfortable coming up to me in person. I don't think. What do you think it is about your energy? I don't know. Maybe I'm not very welcoming. In person? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I think in person, it's mostly the girls who come up to me. Um, but it's never like in person, you just get so you, you, you get, I mean, if I'm at a show and people come up to me, it's, it's great. I don't mind it. It's because it's in the setting, you know, right. it's not, it's, 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 it's nice. I've never, I don't think I've ever had anyone come up to me. I mean, I have had people recognize me on the street from a show. Okay. Right. That's, like that's New probably York. cool. That's probably a cool feeling. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. But I've never had anyone be like, oh, my God, it's you. <laughs> um, do you have anyone that's like, uh, I followed you and I messaged you. Did you read my messages? Oh, my God, I can't think about it right now. But I I, um, I don't know if I've had anything that that direct, but I've, I, I, I have had like I do have some people who just consistently message me on Instagram that I just <laughs> like updating really, you about their day responding to all my stories just always commenting on my stuff trying <laughs> to get attention but not directly being like hey answer me you know but they're like oh ha 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 here's that's so funny that you say that because me too blah blah, blah. They'll, they'll send an initial message being like, I saw you this, or I, I I watch her stuff, or sometimes just like, oh, hey, your pictures are so cute, mm. so hot, or some shit like that. And then they just continue responding to my stories and to my stuff, but I just never respond back. You, I just uh, let it. Do you like the message? Like, do you double tap it? A lot of times I do. Sometimes I don't, because sometimes <laughs> it's just a little weird. But I mean, they can see that you read it. No, so there's some people they that don't. Really? I never, yeah, if it's not someone that I follow and I never like accept the request message, right. they never see. And there's just some people I just don't know how to handle the response. So I just leave it there. It's never out of like malice or because I think I'm better than them or anything. It's just sometimes I just don't know how to respond to the message. So I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm going to leave it right there until, you know, <laughs> I know how to respond to something like that. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. yeah, no, but it always makes for like, it's every, every so often you have one where it's like, you have like a snarky response. We should have probably done the research and found an example because I didn't know I was getting here in this talk. <laughs> but yeah, there's like, there's, there's always like a snarky response and it's hilarious. And it's like, but you could tell that the dude is coming on some like mad, creepy shit. Like, damn, I wish I knew which one you were talking about. I, I think it was just a story. Do you think it was me? Was are you sure it was me? Yeah, it was definitely you. Um, oh, fuck, I wish I. Uh... But it, it it was more like it was not like coming on some like mad creepy shit. More as like mad misogynistic shit that's coming from some creepy shit. Like I think you had like a bit. Um, I don't know. I. The whole point is that energy, I guess. Do you know what I, mean, I where, where I do get those messages a lot? I get a lot of those on uh, like youtube videos comments of, of podcasts oh okay that's right so that's what you're talking about yeah because i did i do get those like when i do someone's podcast when i'm a, when i'm a guest on a podcast or if i'm a guest on like a show like <laughs> that's where i get them oh when i'm in a place where i'm not so 
like if I'm doing some some podcasts where most of the listeners are like white guys and I come into that podcast, I usually get snarky comments. Right. Like I'll get something like boring, like she's not funny. Why is she? I had a, I had one guy who was like, because I, I did go on a podcast to talk about. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I mean, I did go on a podcast to listen, not to listen, to talk about, um, the explosion in Lebanon that happened in my country. Right. And it was, it was fresh off. It was like maybe two weeks after the explosion. And um, they wanted to ask me about it to try to understand it. And so I was trying to explain it and it was really, fr- it was really fresh. I mean, it's still fresh. It's been like right. two months or like almost three actually. But, um, but at the time it was so fresh. I didn't, re- I didn't have a hot take. I didn't have a funny like you were, twist to it. We're being you know? very vocal and talking about support. And like, I know you were a source of like, on not on the ground information, but remote information for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, and I was just talking about it and explaining what had happened. And even then it was so fresh. It was like, and I remember thinking while doing this podcast, I'm like, this probably sounds so boring, but I'm like, I don't know how to be, I don't know how to be fun about this right now because I'm still very shook. I was still very shook. And so I, and I remember one guy commented on on the on the video of the podcast being like, she's so boring. Like you can tell she's a killjoy at parties. Um, like uh, no more comedians from recent war torn countries, please. Her home just blew up and you guys need to be entertained. If that does not speak to your sense of entitlement, I don't know what does. Right. I was, I was like, fuck dude, what the hell? And then I was like, actually at first I was like, I felt bad. I was like, wait, do I just not know how to talk about this in an entertaining way? And then I was like, wait, why the fuck do I have to? This dude is probably some guy who grew up, I don't know where, who doesn't even know what it's like to have a little bit of, I just got like, it started from, and I always go through this, right? I always go through the initial, I'm, I'm like, wait, maybe it's my fault. Maybe, maybe it's me. No one cares. Why, why, why would I be talking about that? Like, it's such a boring, mm-hmm. sad thing. I'm, I, and then I start blaming myself a little bit for talking about it. And then I switch around. I'm like, no, fuck them. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to talk about it. Do you They're, think they don't know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, okay. So what I was talking about earlier about how we like anglicize our last names to adapt. Do you think that kind of initial reaction or maybe like initial feeling of doubt comes from the same kind of energy that leads us to try to adapt and anglicize our last names in that it's like, okay, yeah, this, this information, even though it's very devastating to me, and this is what I'm thinking about constantly, and it really affects me, I can't share it so much because it, maybe it won't be so palatable, and that might make me be perceived negatively in the spaces I move yeah totally totally 100% it's um it's a constant feeling I have and a fear because it's I I feel you know my initial my initial feeling or thought about something that happens in my country that has to do with my people is to talk about it I just I'm like I need to I cannot not you know because it's a part of me but then there's always I'm like am I annoying the people that are not from my country? Because I'm like, who, why would they care? I'm just probably, so I do, I do always feel like, I'm like, okay, if I do want to talk about Lebanon and I do want to talk about something, I have to try to make it funny because maybe if I make it funny, then people won't find it annoying. If I'm able to make it funny, then maybe people will just be tricked into reading about it. 
and la like and listening to it because it's going to make them laugh that's the only way they'll care because or else why would they care about a sob story about a country that has nothing to do with theirs so you have to go through three steps you have to compartmentalize your grief first you have to create a call to action second and then third you have to package it in palatable humor I all try. in a moment yeah right. yeah that's at least what i try to do but it's 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 really hard yeah that sounds really hard yeah right like a lot of emotional work yeah it's a lot of emotional work i mean there's there are times where i just let it go and i'm like i don't feel like i don't care i just need to talk about it and i need to raise the awareness so i don't give a shit but then there are always times where i go back and think about it and i'm like ugh. I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm annoying. I'm annoying everybody with this because who cares? Because I try to think about it. I'm like, if I'm in a country and then I have one person who's like talking to me about some random place that I don't know about, and they're always like, meh, 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 meh. am I going to be annoyed? So I'm just like, I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to put myself in the position of other people following me that know me that are not Lebanese. I'm like, you know, what do I look and sound like to them? because also if you i know that in, in a way you're like you don't care what people think you're making you're doing the right thing but at the same time it's like if yes that's true but also if they're not reacting the way i want them to and they're not interested then what i'm doing is useless because i need to get them interested i need to get them to care i need to get them to pay attention because this is something crazy that's happening and i do face the the the, the guilt sometimes where i'm like okay but lebanon is not the only country in the world going through pain right now yeah. there's so much shit going on everywhere else there's like literally no time to give attention to everything but then i'm like okay but i am a lebanese woman so if i don't talk about lebanon specifically then who will right you so got to about... keep doing it you got to think about the people there or the people here that are Lebanese that aren't able to talk about it like you are able to talk about it. The fact that right. you can go through those three steps in a moment's notice, you know, is a testament to your skill set that you've been building, you know, and then the fact that you are exercising that skill set to do positive work at a moment when everyone would expect you to become a shell of grief and like dissociate yourself with the world you're actively speaking so it's like from my perspective when i'm seeing that i like it's really hard for me to deal with other people's grief and like with friends and stuff it's like and, and i just like i feel like i give them their distance but maybe that's a selfish thing on my end to be like to be like i don't really want to deal with you being you have you crying or being grief and like but the fact that when I see like you being so vocal about it and giving information, it's like, these are the charities to donate to. These are the steps you can take, follow these people. They're on the ground, see what's happening. It's purely like from an information standpoint and that, yeah, it can be noisy to people, but the people that it's noisy to like, fuck them. Who are they, who, who are they to be entitled to what information they can value over what else? Right. Like, yeah, I, mean, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's the that would be the logical approach. Or if you don't care and if this bothers you and it's something that important, then whatever. But at the same time, I'm like, no, but these are the people I want to try to get to. These are the people that I want to try to get the attention of because that would be extra people that we don't have the attention of that could potentially get interested. 
So I think that's where the 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 whole where I'm like, okay, what can I do as a comic? Can I find a way to make this funny this way these people would they would be actually following the funny. They would be trying to, you know, they would be here because it's funny to them, but then without them realizing so directly, they are also processing information that, you know, that is important to them or that I think that I just want to spread, like raising awareness over what's going on. Does that make sense? Yeah. So my initial thought was like, you, yeah, I was like, oh, whatever. But then I was like, but mm, these are the people that I would actually would like to reach, the people who would typically not be interested in that. Maybe what if I can find a way to get them interested? And then you kind of have to quash this part of yourself that gets like uh, defensive or aggressive against people trying to minimize what you're doing. And you just have to like keep, it's like, okay, yeah. I have faith in that the dissemination of the information will land. Right. I try to do that. It's, it's, uh, but it's hard. What I think is weird is like, there's like this thought process with tragedy or maybe tragedy porn in that like we're, you know, we, we traffic in these stories of tragedy and whatever, but there's this thought process. And I don't know if like, I think white girls call it the scarcity mentality, but like this thought process of like, well, focusing on this tragedy is going to take away from this tragedy. So like they attack any information of a tragedy by bringing up the existence of another tragedy in that like okay well you know what are you what is what is the purpose of your rhetoric right now you know in trying to right, so you're talking, so are you talking about like when someone's like oh look at what's happening in syria and then someone responds yeah but like what about yemen yeah is that what you're talking yeah. about what about oh but don't you have a don't you have the protests in america to focus on right now right Right. Right. Like I'm yeah. Just, That's what I think about when I'm posting about this, about my right. stuff. Right. right. But yeah. like, I feel like, you know, maybe that train of thought in that, oh, well, we have to stack tragedies up against each other and there's a zero sum trade off between our focus on them versus mm -hmm. the thought that it's like, yo, we got a billions of people we can focus on the things and we can make steps in all of them and they work together. And there's like the concept of intersectionality and all that. But like that train of thought that these things are zero sum trade-offs, I feel that like as I don't want to say minorities, but like first generation or immigrant generation, you know, people that are forced to have an outside lens growing up in this country, mm -hmm. uh, they internalize that thought, pro that zero sum trade-off thought process and then let that kind of police their own rhetoric, like how you're how you have that hesitancy before you post mm -hmm. about it, thinking, oh, well, this might take away from, you know, people posting about this or this because but in reality, it's like, yo, you know, Natalie, you need to disseminate this information in real time and yesterday. Right. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It's just, it's such a tricky, it's such a tricky thing to balance because I just, you know, I, I think there's so much going on and people have access to so much information at the same time mm -hmm. that I'm like, 
it's it's hard not to feel like you're a noise to some people who are like completely dissociated to you or your story or your people or your country or your culture. Does that makes sense. No, no, that makes so much sense. And I know, like, I don't want to say the people that are listening because right now the people that are listening are just like Fani and my cousins and like Danish, but like. Uh, mm-hmm. The people that we're trying to get to listen that are, you know, people like us growing up that darker skin, maybe, or come from another country or, or, you know, have a whole different uh, biculturalism or multiculturalism. And just that thought process of self-policing, of, of, of tone, self-tone policing, self-censorship. Um, and it's like, why, why do we focus so much on being so palatable so that when we aren't palatable, it's only when we're being used as tokens? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Like, that's when we get to like wild out. But like, yeah, that's a big, that's a big concept. That's, you know, what you just said. I, I feel like for me, it's, you know, um, I think probably for me, it's just such a different approach and a different experience because I didn't grow up here. Yeah. So I grew up, I grew up in my country. Right. I grew up in another country. So I didn't really have that feeling growing up of being someone for someone else. I did have it for a little bit when I was here in 2006. So when I was here in 2006 and I first, it was my first time ever traveling. I had never, up until 2006, I had never left Lebanon. Wow. I, I, I had never seen any other country. And so my first trip was in America, which I had only seen in movies and that in movies looked like the greatest thing ever, like, because I was watching Disney. So to me, it was just like this fun place where people lived normally. They had fun. They laughed. They had lockers in high school that they yeah. opened and closed. And when the bell rang, they ran to class. And it's all they white. Had little lunch boxes, huh? It's all white. And you get your one token friend. Yeah. I was, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even notice this, these things. You know, those are things yeah. that you probably like yeah. noticed, but it, it's like, you know, the, these are things I hadn't really paid attention. All I was looking is just like, the aesthetics and I was just to me it was like okay I'm going to this amazing place where you know the kids have such cool normal lives and there's no wars there's no you know extreme I I had no idea and then I I I got to America and it was what 2006 that was five years post 9-11 I think the anti-Arab sentiment was still pretty pretty strong and I didn't know that I didn't I had no idea I I I wasn't because I grew up in an Arab country I didn't to me there was no that's the tail end of George W Bush huh tail end of George W Bush midway into the second term yeah yeah tail end of that so I remember I I got here we were in New York because my uncles were in New York and my little cousins would go to that summer camp that day summer camp where they would play sports and so my aunt was like Natalie you should try it there's kids your age blah 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 so I went for one day um it was we were going to try one day and then keep going if I liked it um they're just trying to get me distracted from the fact that I had literally just escaped a war um and so we 
I remember my group, my, the group of kids my age, there was like 10 guys and one girl. So there was only one other girl. So I was with the girl the whole time. I was just sitting with her. And she, she wasn't very friendly, but I was just like, uh, she, I just, I was stuck with her. Cause she was the girl, whatever. I don't know. I was sitting with her. And then we were at some point we were benched, of course. And the guys were playing soccer. We were on the bench. Um, and we were talking and she, she, so she was like, uh, so where are you from? And I was like, uh, so excited to say it. I was like, I'm from Lebanon. I was just so, so excited. And she looked at me and she went, oh and she slid away from me on the bench she literally just like slid away i physically saw her go oh and she slid away Yo. and i was like and she was like um i'm from israel and i was like okay and she was well, i'm not from israel but i'm jewish i've never but i'm Jew i'm from new york but i'm jewish and i was like okay and she goes you know like lebanon is like at war with israel and i was like bitch do i know i was literally just in the middle of it what do you mean do i know i was like yeah it's not lebanon it's hezbollah it's not lebanon it's just one party in lebanon it's not and then she was like yeah well yeah and then she just like slid away and then just like turned her back on me and was just like and i remember sitting there and all I could think about was I was just so ashamed. I, it wasn't, oh. I, I didn't have the capacity to think, oh, that's just a little girl who doesn't know better or, oh, this is maybe a racism or this is like, all I thought about was, oh my God, I am from a disgusting country and I should be ashamed of it. Like, this is how I felt. I was like, I can't believe like no one can know. And this is when I started like really practicing my American accent because I was like, I have to talk like them and move like them so they don't notice that I'm not one of them. Holy shit. Because I was just so scared to feel like that again. And and, and my, my mom has such a heavy accent. And when you would go like to the mall or shopping and they would always ask her, they'd be like, oh, where's your accent from? And she'd go, uh, Lebanon. And then we used to call it the famous, oh, because they used to, they used to always go, oh, so we also, we used to like in between us and the family used to be like the famous, oh, because <laughs> they used to do it all the time. And I was just like, yeah. And I just felt so ashamed. And I was like, I they can never, I have to like not talk with an accent. I have to get really good at speaking English or else they're going to hate me. That's insane. But then I left like a year later, we went back to Lebanon. And then a few years into being in Lebanon, I was like, we were kids, it doesn't matter. I should go back to that country because there's actual real opportunity there. And, you know, it's actually not that bad. And I met actually really great friends and some of them were Jewish and they liked me, they didn't hate me. You were, how old were you in 2006 when you came? 12. So, oh, okay. I was 12 years old. Fuck, so yeah, right in that right in height that. of the development area. Period yeah. of life. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was probably the toughest year of my life. It was a very tough summer. And it was a very, very tough year, because also we didn't have social media like we do now. So I couldn't be in contact with my friends. Like when we fled the war, it was literally from one day to another where we were at home, our parents didn't even tell us we were at my grandparents house in the mountains, we were hiding in their house in the mountains. Oh and then my parents just showed up with our suitcases packed they didn't even tell us they just went we're leaving tomorrow and i was like wait what how 
how and they're like we're taking a bus to syria and then we're taking a plane from syria to turkey and then we're taking a plane from turkey to to new york and and, and, I, and I was just so confused and i was like but my friends i didn't even tell i didn't and in my head i was just like you're you're 12 you're like i gotta ask my friends i can't just go but i couldn't because i you can't just we didn't have like cell phones like we do now it wasn't that easy i just I didn't know my friend's parents' phone number, all of them. It was summer break. It was in July. It was, so it was like, I just left. I didn't know where my friends were. I didn't know who was still in Lebanon. I didn't know who was still in the city. I didn't know who was in the mountains. I didn't know who had escaped. I didn't know if anybody was hurt. I didn't know. So it was so overwhelming. And it was like all these things stacked up on top of each other. It was like so horrible for a 12 year old, you know, to, and still I am one of the luckier ones in that, and you know considering the war that i was able to leave and right. most of my friends who left had to leave through ships there were ships that were docked at the port that were taking people to like cyprus and then people and you would be in the ship for like 24 hours with like a lot a lot a lot of people we got lucky that we were able to go through syria but you know the syrian border was terrifying but uh and like the road to the border was terrifying but then once you're through the border you're like oh now that's done, now I can just travel. Like uh, go to McDonald's now. Huh? <laughs> now I can stop at McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> Once we're past yeah. the border. Yeah, no. I literally saw nothing of Syria except for fields. We just drove oh. in through the border and then we just th- drove through fields and fields and fields and fields and fields to the airport. So I don't even know what it looks like because it was, I think. I think you had a full tank of gas, I'm assuming. Yeah, it was a big bus. <laughs> we were on a big bus. <laughs> So when you, did you resent your parents for that decision? Yes. Yeah. A lot. I made their life hell. Shit. So my dad went back to Lebanon. Okay. That year. He didn't stay because my brother was a senior in high school and he was doing like a, like when you're in Lebanon, when you're like a senior, you either go into a Lebanese system or a French system and he was in the Lebanese system and so he couldn't finish high school here because then he would have had to go back to like sophomore because he was in the Lebanese system so she had to go back to make sure my brother Eddie finishes high school so I was here alone with my mom so it was my mom that had to go through it really not really my dad where I was like oh I believe you did this to me like the war is over, everybody's back there and I'm still punished. I still have to be here. I don't want to be here. I want to be with my dad. I want to be with my friends. And so I was so miserable. And the way she was looking at it is like, she wanted to move here because she was like, I want to give you an opportunity in a normal country. Her plan was to move here. That's, that's it and stay in America. But I made it impossible. I was like, "There's, I'm not staying here. I will die. I would kill myself. I'd be like, I'm going to die if I stay here. <laughs> well, I mean, you were 12, 13 yeah 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 I was 13, but I was insane I was like I need to go back to Lebanon I need to go back to Lebanon and then my dad was still there and I was so attached to my dad and my dad was like was like actually I don't want to go back to America I want to stay in Lebanon so I was like I'm not going to stay here without him and then so my mom was like all right well if you go back you're not going to be alone with your dad I'm going to come back too I was like okay fine you can come back <laughs> Okay, but I'm going. And so I went back, she went back, and then eventually my other brother went back. And then I was like, actually, I'm moving back to New York. (laughs) She was like, bitch, you brought me all the way back here. You brought all of us all the way back here. And now you're going back and you're leaving us here. I was like, well, I was a kid. I was dumb. (laughs) It's the most fucked up game of tag. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like when I first decided I was going to come back, they were all like, are you serious? <laughs> now you want to go. Okay. Oh, man. But you were, when you wanted to come back, you were like, what, 18-ish? Yeah. I was like 18, but then I actually ended up finishing up college in Lebanon. So I moved here when I was like 21. Okay. Yeah. 21, mid-2015-ish. So... December of 2015. Okay, so. so getting into the height of the election stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so you're coming into this pre-Trump world. We're recording this, and I'll only bring this up just now. Uh, we're recording this on November 2nd because I wanted to stack a couple episodes <laughs> before tomorrow. For doomsday. Um, but you came into this pre-Trump world, right? And um, I guess I guess uh, we're coming off at that point in 2015 of like the super anti Middle East sentiment, even though that's there. That's high. well, no, no, actually, maybe not. We're not coming in 2015. Off. To yeah, it was starting to heighten more. Never mind. So it's yeah, I don't more. think it was anymore. Yeah. No. Uh, and then, but like we're adding on a b- whole bunch of other groups to. Um, racially profile and marginalized as of maybe 2016. And um, so you're coming into this world, not having done comedy? Um, No, I was a writer. I was a comedy writer, but I wasn't a comedy performer. So what does that mean? So I used to screenwrite. I was a screenwriter Mm -hmm. and I was, I would, I would write comedy and screenwriting and like film and sketch at a production house in Lebanon. Okay. But I, I came here because I was like, I want to see more. And then in December 2015, when I came, I started doing stand-up. So five right years Right away. Ago. Right away, yeah. I, I, I came here, I saw a show with friends. And then what I was like, whoa. You remember? Yeah, yeah. I was what like, that's... Was huh? What was the show? Do you remember? Yeah, it was at The Cellar. Okay. Yeah, it was a, it was a show at The Cellar. And I was just, um, I just thought it was awesome. And so I just really liked, and I didn't grow up watching stand-up comedy. So I just thought it was really great how. <laughs> what do you think you would be now if your first show you saw was like an open mic? <laughs> or if it was down the street from the cellar? <laughs> One of those. I probably would have done it still because what I loved wasn't how, like, of course I loved how funny it was and how great they were. I mean, I'm sure that really mm-hmm. pumped me up too, but to me, it was mostly like the freedom, the freedom of expression. Yeah. That to me was what fascinated me because we didn't have that at all. Like when I was working at the production house back, back home and we were writing stuff and we were trying to write parodies and stuff, we were like always super careful. Yeah. Uh, we can't talk about this. We can't show that. We can't piss off this pe- these people. We can't piss off them. Like it was, you can't say what you want. You have to be careful for because of the government and because of society and because of religion and because of this and this and that. And so for me, it was just like, whoa, it feels like here you can just say whatever you want and no one's going to tell you shit. As long as you make it funny, it doesn't matter. Just fucking talk about whatever you want. And I was like, I want to talk about like the shit that I could never really openly talk about. I want to talk about that. So that's that's what like enchanted me about it. When you were working at the production house, was it, did you have like a man coworker that like you had, you would have to like, as a conduit, you'd have to like vicariously pitch your ideas through. Yeah, I mean, the guys running it were boys. Well, yeah, but yeah. like, but like, did you have to do that extra layer of having to pitch an idea 
by making it not come from you? No. No. No, no, no. It, they were they were they were awesome. They were all really young. Okay. Um, it was a new new production house and like the guys. I was I started working with them. I was like eighteen, and they were like 25, 26. Okay. And they were really cool guys. And I was one of like the original people of the of the of the gang, like of the of the production house. They were fresh. They were completely fresh. Um, and they're still like the one that I used to write, my head writer, the one who was like one of the founders was also is was still one of my really close friends. Um, so no, it was very, it was, they were very open. The communication was open. They never made me feel like, you know, I, I, my, my word wasn't important, but we were very restricted and there was no money and all of this stuff. So it was, it, it was a lot, it was very tough. So I made the decision. I was like, I need more than that in my life. I can't, I can't fight for this here. There's too much to fight against to make this work. I was like, there's too much. There's no money. There's no freedom. There's no, you know, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Like, what are we working towards? Like, even if we do write something great, how are we ever going to, no one cares about film or like independent production year. No one cares. We're never going to get money. We're never going to make money. We never made money. So I was just like, I told them, I was like, I'm going to go to New York. And they were like, okay like they're they're they were supportive but at the same time they were like what do you think is going to happen when you go they're like you think you're just going to go and show up and be like hey hey everyone i'm here where's all the money where's all the fame is that what you did that's almost what i did i was i was crazy i was like going to new york and then now we talk about it because you know when i started actually making like having stuff happen to me i would always message him his name is daniel i'll be like daniel this happened he'd be like proving me wrong once again good for you but now so like they they actually built something great they they that production house specifically doesn't exist anymore they like obliterated it but they created a new one it's the same people like minus one or two but now with their they created a huge production house and they're working with like, they got monetized from the Emirati countries from like Dubai. They got funds from like Dubai, Saudi oh, Arabia, wow. but where there's actual money. And now they're shooting a whole TV show, um, which makes me so happy because we wrote a whole fucking TV show when I was there from right. scratch. We wrote from A to Z, a whole thing. And it never got made because there was no money. Um, but now like they're, they're and they, they had to work like in, in advertisement. They had to like do ads for like a while to make a little bit of money and then a few years in they were like okay um they gathered a, a new group and they were like let's do something new and now because they have outside funds and they have the experience now they have like seven years of experience they're like okay now we know what we're doing and they're actually doing pretty well but it's still like what they're doing is still not what i want to do i would love to work with them eventually again but if i was still there and that was all i was doing i still wouldn't have been satisfied maybe you i don't even remember them. what the initial question was i feel like i just started rambling no no it's great i mean those that, that was kind of in our outline we threw together a little outline and i, I wanted you to talk about that anyways um mm -hmm. but since i mentioned the fact that we have an outline i'll move on to the next um piece because this is a very painful segue oh but it's over so okay. our first segment tokenized or fetishized and um you know i mentioned this over message but if you have like a personal anecdote from whenever 
where you're either tokenized or fetishized and like what that means or at least what your opinion of what that means is and hopefully you know i give you a little time to um you know jog through your memory uh if you have something uh you know we could always can you, can you give me your definition of tokenized okay so tokenized i would think is more like this is uh you know tokens are currency you traffic in tokens as currency so it's like this is i'm going to use this person's ethnicity or look or whatever to be able to to instill my message so that i can use uh, i can talk to the other people that look like that person or that ethnicity or whatever um and then fetishize is more like uh you know uh kind of like sexual but also like a, just a desirable thing like um like oh uh you know i have to sleep with all the ethnics right kind of thing but but also it's like oh oh the uh the baklava i haven't had that uh, you must you must make great baklava right right um uh, so, so, so kind of like that. I mean, there's a fine line and maybe they're both the same, but it's one of those things that it's like, how do you define it? And maybe a lot of times there's experiences that we have that we don't really register what they are. And then like when in our thirties, we're like, yo, that shit was mad racist. Right. <laughs> Why were there sexual undertones there? <laughs> so. Um, I think for the, the tokenizing, I'm sh yeah, I, I do remember it happening a few times. I, I just have to try to remember a specific time because this is something that I have talked about before. Right. Fetishize, I can tell you, no. No. I've n I haven't because I'll tell you why. Like, oh, I love Lebanese girls. Come here. That kind of stuff. No. I, yeah, no, I have had the, oh, Lebanese girls are so beautiful. Like I am. Yeah. I mean, I hear Lebanese <laughs> girls are gorgeous and it's great. Like I can see it. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've had that, but I've never really paid attention to it. Yeah. Like, oh, Lebanese women. A hundred percent. A lot of times. Right. But I don't feel it as heavily because I never gave the time of day to anyone. I, I, I barely go out with men. I don't right. really date a lot. And so I don't really give people the, give men maybe the opportunity to talk to me like that. And so I haven't really been in situations where they were, you know, like every guy I've been with or, or hooked up with or dated have, has been a guy that I've known really well for a very long time, mostly, you know, it hasn't. So I've never been in that situation that I've known of where they're like, Oh, I just want to sleep with a with an Arab woman or something. I've never, I've never had that happen to me directly. Um, I have had this. I've have had the comments of, yeah, Lebanese women. I hear like, and it's happened a lot with other Arab men. Really, that are not Lebanese. Mm. Yeah, Arab men that are not Lebanese. Um, and it had. Like I think electors. it has happened in Lebanon also, because it's like, I I think. Lebanon is m maybe one of the Arab countries that's considered the most open-minded and the women there are considered maybe, we are considered the easiest. 
I think, because I think Lebanon is one of the countries that has the least restrictions uh-huh. when it comes to that stuff. So a lot of times you, you'll see men from like Saudi Arabia or Qatar or like Dubai, they come to Lebanon because it's more laid back, right? It's more like the women dress more, you know, they wear short skirts, they wear uh, open t-shirts, they they show cleavage. Like I think for in the Middle East, Lebanese women are definitely sexualized more for sure because it feels like it's more allowed to sexualize us i think um you know when i meet when i met non-lebanese men in in lebanon that were arab a lot of times there were comments of yeah but you guys are so fun here because they're so pretty and so fun and like you don't care and it's like um it's like true (laughs) (laughs) true true a little bit but also, no, I, I feel like Lebanese women, we look like we're very, ooh, but we're not. No, we're just progressive, dog. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, here, no. I, but again, here it's happened to me when I've talked to like Egyptian guys or like Jordanian guys or like, but it, it was never in a malicious way or I never felt like, ugh, or something like that. Or also because I think it's just, I'm so used to it from that perspective that I'm just not. I think, okay, I think there's also maybe a side of fetishize that's not really sexual. Okay, let, let me ask this hypothetical. Do you mm-hmm. get like, like liberal white women that are like, oh, you're an immigrant. We're going to fight the fight with you. My friend, Nat- Natalie, they probably say it like that. No, I know, I'm sorry. I'm being, mm-hmm. my friend is an immigrant. And, and I'm just, I'm so supportive of her, you know, whenever she calls, I answer. And I'm really like coaching her through life, really. Uh, that's also a form of fetishization, I think. You probably get that, no? Yeah, I mean, but I feel like if you do get that, would they do it in front of you or would they do it when you're not around? I think, well, well, I think when, especially when you're not around because you're right. an accessory, but like in front of you, I think it would be like, you should do this. You shouldn't do this so much. You right. know, have you thought about this? Oh, you know, yeah, you know, you're, you're, it's not your fault for this stuff. Like that kind of, that, that kind of language. But then it's like that just to turn around and traffic in it as like, yeah, I have an immigrant friend. Yeah, that happens a lot. That yeah. happens a lot, but I'm, it's, it's, it's crazy because I feel like in my head, I try to just take it as, she's trying I feel like she's trying but it's it's like if it's my friend or if it's someone that's close and I can feel because sometimes you know I can feel that this is coming from a place of genuine from a genuine place sometimes I feel like I I do have white friends like white girlfriends specifically who are like tell me I want to know I want to understand I want to right you know and I feel like since I didn't grow up here I mean, I feel like for you, maybe it'll be different because I feel like you grew up here. So you're like, I've been trying to explain this to you for years. And I've been here for years. And I'm like, you still not know, right? Isn't that how you feel? <laughs> not, I mean, not really, but that is kind of oh. hilarious because it's like, it's like you you don't see the patterns, Natalie. Yeah. You don't see them. Yeah. <laughs> Watch how their eyes shift. I feel, like someone, I feel like for someone like you, like I know, like I talked to, my Arab friends who've grown up here and who are like, 
when people ask them and don't understand, they're like, what do you mean you don't understand? I've been here. Or like, you know, any person of color, it's like, it's, I can understand the frustration if any white person is like trying to be like, so what is it? I want to, you know, what's going on? And it's like, but what do you mean what's going on? I think it's a, it's the same shit with the last name. It's the same shit with the feeling like you're the problem when you're told some racist shit. It's the same shit how we internalize it that we have to constantly extend the benefit of the doubt because we don't want to compromise our palatability. Very possible. Very possible. So you see me dealing with all of these interactions. I'm you're at the stage of your you're at the stage of these interactions where you've had them for a long enough time. Right. You've processed them that you've processed the gaslighting. You've processed the how it makes you feel. You've processed where it's coming from. You've processed these things. So you're 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 at a point where you understand you've had time to think through past experiences. I am in the middle of it. I am brand new. I am fresh. So my process of it is very different than yours. And also I'm, you know, I'm sure my experience of it is very different than yours. So I'm still processing. So your questions, I'm sure that if in five, six, seven years, I'm going to answer them very differently. Right. Right. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because I'm still in, in the fresh take of it. And I'm, I, I, there's still a lot I don't see and don't realize because I'm also very naive when it comes to these things, because I'm like, I think, um, also you are in an environment you're in a very progressive environment if you think about it so like right there's also that the, yeah. i'm in new york i'm in comedy you know so yeah. i'm in an environment where everyone's a thought not necessarily thought leader for sure not a fucking right. thought leader but like everyone is a thought soldier um you know that you're around and they're pushing forward their own narratives and whatever and you're constantly hypo testing ideas and it's like a a laboratory for your imagination right um right so that might spoil you not spoil you but like uh soften your radar for for the 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 like the microaggressions and shit because you assume that things come from a a place of like open discussion and us wanting to do this, but a lot of people weaponize right. that premise of being like, I just want to discuss things. I'm just asking questions, right? right? They weaponize that premise when really they want to stifle the discussion and tell you some racist shit. That's, <laughs> that's, that's super true. That's a very good point. You know, it's interesting that you say that because you just reminded me of a story. Yes. Thank you. That shocked me. So I was on the road. I was in Atlanta Mm-hmm. with two other comics i'm not gonna say their names just in case they don't want to you know have that story i don't know I'm just, you know, <laughs> no they're on episode nine and- <laughs> <laughs> i mean one of them is probably going to be on this they were two brown comics or two brown guys right sure. there was me and there was the you know there was we were two openers and then there was our headliner so one of the shows i went up um and there was like a weird guy in the crowd, but I couldn't really see him well because I had all the lights in my in my face, but he did try to heckle me a little bit. And I went up first and it was kind of a weird room already, but he made it extra weird. He said something to me, but I didn't hear it. Um, and when I tried to address him and be like, what did you just say? He kind of hid in the darkness. Of so course. I, I was like, all right. So I just let it pass. I was like, maybe it was like a me moment kind of thing. And then my friend went up 
And then the headliner went up. And when the headliner went up, the same guy was on his phone, like holding his phone like this, the whole show, just like texting, not listening, just texting, 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 not listening. He was like a white guy, long blonde hair, ponytail. Um, and a lot of the crowd was Arab. It was a, it was a very like Arab crowd, like a lot of Arab men. Like it was, he was one of like, so a white man like would stick out. So he was already sticking out, even if he wasn't doing anything, but he was like heckling. And then if he wasn't heckling, he was on his phone texting in the middle of the show. And so the headliner at some point called him out for texting. And me and the other opener were just sitting there and we were watching this happen. And then he calls him out for texting. And then the guy doesn't respond, keeps texting. And then the headliner says something again. And then the, this guy in question just lowers his phone he looks at the headliner, he stares at him, and then he points, he makes a finger sign with his hands, he points at the headliner, and he goes, <laughs> and then you see the table, there was like a table of like 15 Arab guys, who were like, what are you, what are you doing? And they're like screaming, like they stop, I don't know where the manager of the place was, and then me and the other opener were like, what the fuck? What the we just watch. I was like, what the hell was that? And then the headliner, big pro handled it really well. Like he calmed his guy, like the, these guys down. He shut, he, like he had to deal with the situation. And then, you know, the show, it, thankfully it was like in his last 10 minutes. And then the guy was like escorted out by the manager, but then the 10 Arab guys were, who were there, we were standing outside after the show and they were like standing around us refusing to leave until they made sure that this guy was gone for good because they were like, we can't, this is not safe for you guys. And I remember being like, that was so crazy. I was looking at my friend, I was like, what the fuck? And he goes, I'm not surprised. And I was like, what do you mean? Can someone just do it? How can you just do that? I was, I, was so, I was like, you can't just do that. He can't just get away with it and just like, what? And he goes, yeah, he can. Probably nothing, even if we had complaints. That guy was probably the police commissioner. Yeah, it was like, yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> And it, 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 it like, we were, that was Friday night. And then we did another two shows on Saturday and we we're supposed to have another show on Sunday, but we canceled the Sunday show because we were so shook by that Friday show. We were so shook. We, yeah, it was, it was, it was just really weird. I, I know like in retrospect, telling the story and like, you're like, okay, but he didn't really have a gun. So it doesn't really matter. No, no, no. But there was no, something it about matter. it. Yeah. If you felt like there was like a real, like a real feeling behind it that I he mean, had. These are the guys that corral on the internet and dox people's uh, personal information and they send you death threats and all that kind of shit. Yeah, they're the kind of people that try to run up on you with a gun. Yeah, but later. I'm like, why were you there? That was a show that was clearly all brown people. He needed a challenge to his ego. These guys go out looking for a challenge to their egos because they're such like a, they're so like, masochistic and then they got like they, they just or what is sadistic or sadomasochistic and then they just need to like masochistic is to, people i think who likes to hurt themselves yeah yeah they like to be they like to be told they're inferior and that they're dumb so that they can express their ego it's like some weird fucking shit that's why they're like so into like that's why when you look at any sort of like constructive discourse or arguments or whatever, and then you see somebody come with this kind of energy of like, 
oh, who's the champion of this argument? I won that argument. You lost that argument. Like, that's fucking dumb, yo. Yeah. There's no such thing as winning or losing an argument. It's called constructive discourse in that you are exploring all these ideas and coming up with solutions, right? There's no win and loss. It's not sports. But if that's your framework for how you learn information and like learn as a grow as a person then you're never going to grow you're constantly going to be stuck in this dual duality mentality and you're going to become a goddamn terrorist even if you're white and you have a ponytail and you shoot the you know yeah yeah dude that was terrifying and i remember feeling so bad i was like was that my fault because i remember when i went up first he tried to come at me and i was like what the fuck (laughs) i like he tried to talk to me and i was like fuck you or some shit like that i don't know what i said (laughs) But like I attacked him back without even, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Was that dude probably watches? That dude probably has watched every one of your stories since you started Instagram. Okay, love. You don't need to tell me what the fuck. He's probably outside your door. (laughs) Actually, he's been under your bed this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he's the Babadook. (laughs) I'm like, oh, you mean Doug? Oh, Doug, oh, that's why you're here. <laughs> all I do is all I do is flash him a smile that keeps him going for six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, that was that was that was that was terrifying. I remember it stayed stuck in my it stayed stuck in my head for a while. Yeah. Even like we were driving back, we drove back from Atlanta. The drive back, we were talking about it, and I was like, I still that was so fucking just like the look in his eye when he did it was so terrifying because you just felt like there was like a real. And how the the headliner just handled it was fucking amazing. Just like he like he calmed everyone down in like a second, but it's like it was. Did the headliner? Okay, let me ask you this: Did the headliner come with the to calm it down? Did the headliner come in with the alpha male energy to calm it down? Yeah, he was very alpha male energy, and but very calm. He didn't attack back. He just made sure to keep the guys from that wanted to defend him so fucking crazy and then yeah it was it was it was it wasn't it was it was insane and i and i remember talking to the headliner and the other opener that night like three of us were sitting down we were like smoking a cigarette having a drink and we were talking about it and i remember hearing like they were talking and they were like this is the kind of shit that we've dealt with growing up here and then the headliner he's been doing comedy for like 20 25 years and he's like yeah in the early 2000s you know like from 2001 to like 2008 2009 it was a nightmare for me because it was like that but consistently and at that time i wasn't the one looking like it 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 wasn't there was no defense of us at the time now there is but at the like back in the early 2000s you know it was it was normalized in 10th grade i went to a science fair this was in mississippi i was with my classmate big white dude named brent (laughs) and uh we were in the parking lot and this Mm -hmm. car came at me full speed ahead and these guys came out were standing at the window and they yelled osama bin laden and like swerved right before they got to me so it's like, and like, I didn't really like, it didn't register to me so much. And Brent started like profusely apologizing to me for it. Yeah. And I was like, what, what, what just fuck like mm. that? And then, you know, later, a few months later, I went to, from Jackson, Mississippi to Pittsburgh. So mm. one stop flight 
uh, with a group of 20 other high school students. And I got security checked 13 times. We counted, made whole inside jokes about it, all sorts of shit. And uh, yeah, 13 times. Wow. Um, it's but, just like, they're so cavalier, you know? They're so comfortable being like this. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's nice. I mean, my brothers went through that too. I, I never did. I never got extra checked. Until they look at your name? I've, I've gotten nasty comments. Yeah. But I haven't gotten like actual, like they never took me to the back room and they've done it with my cousin, actually, my little cousin, which is like, she's like, she grew up in New York her whole life. She's like, she's Lebanese, but she grew up here and she's very like, you're like, you see her, you're like, she's another white girl, you know, you don't, but they took her to the back room once when she was coming back from Lebanon and they like looked through her phone and she was like, don't look at my texts. She's like, no, my pictures. But they used to do it to, uh, they used to do it to my brothers a lot. Like my brother, every time like he would come here, like he would come to New York, we knew that there's going to be an extra hour at the airport before he can come out, you know, because they just like question him, take him to the room, a lot of questions. You know, I feel like people in these like positions, okay, now this might be a stretch, but I feel like we could talk about it. Um, you ever look like, you ever look at like porn metrics, like how in like metrics for porn, like metrics for porn viewership and stuff. So like how in like Mississippi, right. The most viewed porn is like gay, black or transgender black porn, you know, in that, in that this is like, it's like, you look at the metrics and it's indicative of like the types of power structures these dudes believe mm-hmm. they live in or have and so it's like you look lately like there's so much incest now like they all these porn videos are all about incest and you know like i heard about that why yeah what oh, a lot of comedians are talking about it and they're trying to make bits and angles right. about it but there's like so much of this shit is like it's incest and then there's also like this thing where it's like um these these uh story situation scenarios where these it's these dudes in like that are tsa agents or their mall security guards or their cops in the situations they pull someone over and abuse their authority and i feel like i feel like the hyper surgence of these kind of things is like indicative of you know how these guys think that these power structures really are right mm-hmm. so it's like so it's like of course i can be so cavalier with you know ethnic people because they're literally categorized for me in all my porn as different categories of ethnic people and in all those porns it's a dude that looks like me in a uniform that i'm wearing abusing his authority right and right. so it's just like it's just like i feel like that kind of that kind of thing is like a a, fee, a feedback loop Interesting. I didn't, I did not know about that. I never, <laughs> I didn't even know you could see those statistics that easily. Yeah, I know. I used to uh, host trivia. <laughs> and so then like, we did like a porn round with statistics and um, people really like the fact that it was a porn round, which is mm. kind of weird uh, right. because it was just like a purely a mathematical thing. The questions, right. it was all about metrics and every time, but they'd always want me to do the porn round again and again and i have to always come up with questions and oh, like, so you had to look at those 
yeah i mean it's just like numbers. numbers yeah it's just like numbers and articles and stuff and analyzing the numbers and shit like that but <laughs> that's hilarious um, i know who to go to when i need to know what the numbers are in you know mississippi uh <laughs> yeah, it's so messed up i mean <laughs> but like it kind of all makes sense and then you think about like these dudes that are like incels and they're the ones that walk around the Michigan state house with guns and like run cars into people. Or as of like today, you know, they try to run the Biden Harris bus off the road in Texas, or they gather their cars and block people's entrance into New York to vote. And it's just like, these are the same types of people. And it's like, you look at the, the, you look at the porn that they consume, not only do they consume it, it becomes so trending and popular because of the, hyperactivity of it and right. it's just like yo you guys live in these fucked up fantasies man right right it, it means it's like what happened to the idea of like having responsibility with the authority that you're given as opposed to viewing any sort of position as a, of authority as something to exploit to the maximum and you know right. like it's like it's like how does every how do most people in this country have that fuckboy mentality I don't know, man. I feel like, you know, there were times where I'm like, I feel like I need to get out of New York and go live in other places for a little bit just to really understand. Because I don't, because I've only lived in New York. I've, I haven't lived in anywhere else in America besides New York City. And so I remember hearing about these people, I'd be like, where are they? I don't, I've never seen, but you know, I forget that there's a whole other fucking country. And I'm like, I, I feel like sometimes, like I've told my friend that actually the other opener who was with me that day, who's a very good friend that, you know, I told him, I was like, I kind of want to go like discover America and see what all the shit like really is about. Like, I want to see, and he's like, no, you don't. <laughs> you, yo, no. if you did want to do that, I would, I'd roll with you and I'd film it. We could make, let's make a documentary about it. You learning, you learning America the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> Oh my god! I would. I wouldn't even. That's a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go just Donate to our people. Patreon so we can make that happen. <laughs> let's just go, me and you, and be like, "Hey, we're here to learn about you guys." <laughs> See what they say. Yo, you could. We could do like a reverse Borat thing where you wear a blonde wig and just be like white women it up. But that's the thing when you said, I was like, that's what Borat does, and he does it so well. We're never going to be able to match that. No, no, we're not trying. We wouldn't try to match it. We just get, you just get them to say the things that they're thinking and and, and just make sure to get on tape. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about this offline. figure it out um okay so this is the last thing and we've gone on pretty long and you know thank you for giving us so much time today but uh the last segment we want to do um is called appropriation or appreciation yeah in this we're going to give you an example and here's what i'm going to do is i'm going to share the screen in a second and show you this video And I want you to make a determination for us or maybe walk us through your thought process on on a determination on whether or not this would be appropriation or appreciation. Or if this dichotomy that I'm creating about appropriation and appreciation is completely false and you can critique it and we'd love to hear 
that. So I'm going to share the screen now. Hi, my name is Portia. I'm the founder of Belly Motions, a dance studio in Miami, Florida, and I'm also the creator of the Belly Motions Fitness Instructor Training. I first discovered belly dance in 2002 while I was a student at the University of Florida. At the time, I was a group exercise instructor, teaching many different styles of fitness. After just a few classes of belly dance, I was completely hooked. The dance was exotic, feminine, and empowering. It impacted me so much that I wanted to share this with others. It's been many years, and I've had the opportunity to create, refine, and brand the Belly Motions teaching methodology. The Belly Motions Fitness Instructor Training is a nationally recognized dance fitness program approved by the Athletics and Fitness Association of America and offers CEUs for course completion. It's a great training for serious belly dance enthusiasts, group fitness instructors, or persons looking to learn something new. It's been a long journey and I can honestly say a true privilege to be able to share my passion for belly dance and positively impact people's lives on a daily basis. I've seen weight loss, reclaimed confidence, and beautiful friendships. It's truly been a blessing. Today the format is taught here at Belly Motions in Miami. We have a wonderful team and look forward to continuing to teach and share our format with others. We'd love to have you join our teacher training and empower others through dance. Yeah, so what did you think of that video? I don't know. I'm trying to process it. I, I guess our thought process going in is we try to find this case study. And um, like I was just thinking, you know, Fani is the one that finds these case studies. And we're just thinking like, you know, with India, it's like yoga. And so I guess like uh, we looked at belly dancing and I think there's like a very large conversation around the appropriation of belly dancing and that kind of stuff. And um, I feel like I'll go ahead and give our spiel, like from, you know, just the language and the video and everything. She's talking about all these different certifications and everything about selling and packaging the thing. So it's like, so it's like, what are your intentions if it's to, is it to honor the culture and style of what it is? Or is it that you found something that you can be, not necessarily become an expert in, but hold yourself out as an expert in by getting all, all of these sorts of qualifications and judgments about it that aren't necessarily the right qualifications or judgments for whether or not it's authentic belly dancing or, or that. Right, because I didn't, I didn't hear her at any point mention the culture behind it, mm -hmm. right? Or where it comes from. And I feel like you're just taking it away and you're just making it its own thing. Like it's not part of a whole culture right. because it's very specific to the Arab culture to belly dance. I I mean, we do, I mean, we, well, we, have, we have belly dancing classes in Lebanon, I think. I don't even know if you have belly dance. I mean, I'm sure we do. I don't know what kind of dance classes we have, but it's just like, to us, it's just part of the culture. When we hear Arabic music, right. we are immediately just all bellied, everybody, right? And there's there's a there's a role for the men while we're belly dancing also. And it's like, it's not always the best. And it's like, you know, we're not all great at it, but it's like, it's so, it's, 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 it's very, you know, when I was watching them, 
even you know watching her and watching people in her class which probably maybe none of them were Arabs I like a part of me was kind of like it made me miss home to just like watch the little thing around their their um their waist and it was just like it's just like it's it it's it's really a part of our it's part of who we are so I mean you don't mention it you you I don't mind you I guess giving the classes if you're really good and you're like I don't even know what it's like to what it means when you say I'm a certified belly dancer I don't even know what that what the fuck that means who's who's doing the certification it's probably yeah. a white woman but who taught you though who was there who gave the certificate what does that mean to be certified because to us it's not like a you don't have a course of belly dancing. It's just, you hear that music and that's how you dance to our music, right? It's just, it's part of the culture. People have been dancing like this for hundreds of years. So it's like, I'm just, I'm just trying to understand. So I'm not, I'm not like the kind, I wouldn't be like, um, I wouldn't be like, no, no one else besides Arab can belly dance. I wouldn't think that, but it's like, I'm like, just, I don't know. I'm just still, I guess, overwhelmed by it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about this whole thing. Um, for me, it's like, my first thought was, are you going to say what, what this is? Are you going to say where it's from? Because if everybody's just kind of like giving belly dancing classes and dancing it and you're teaching it to people who've never seen it before. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people in her class in Florida don't even know where it's from they just know it's a cool thing where you look kind of sexy and you're like shaking when it's fitness it's a fitness routine yeah. with all the brownness extricated french i'm like okay mm-hmm. but do you know what this is are you why aren't you it's just like the loss of our culture right it's just like it makes you feel like the culture is kind of being like put aside kind of feels like a form of neo-colonialism right you go in you become the expert you trade in the authenticity but you extricate the people that actually develop the shit because they're dirty or savage right you don't hate them as a society yeah i kind of feel like sometimes they don't want to associate us or a culture to to that they want to disassociate them to make them look maybe better and it's it's how it's it's like how the people in the white house love going to mexican restaurants you know (laughs) <laughs> that are run by white chefs you know right right or like when people make chocolate hummus or you know <laughs> chocolate hummus ew it was so funny like the other day my roommate was uh, my roommate is Lebanese so she was ordering uh <laughs> she was ordering hummus from a from a Mediterranean restaurant she was on the phone with them and she was like uh, and can we have the falafel and the hummus please and she was like the what <laughs> I just see my roommate just like roll her eyes and she goes falafel and hummus and then she goes okay and then she just like stares at me and I'm just like dying laughing that's hilarious I couldn't hear what the woman was saying on the phone I could just see my roommate go falafel and hummus please falafel and hummus and then she just goes falafel and hummus <laughs> I was just like, I just understood what happened on the other end. I was like, she was just like crawling her eyes. That's so funny. Yeah, that's totally happened to me with Indian stuff, with Indian restaurant too. And like, yeah, because you're like, wait, who's on the other end there? Who doesn't know? Yeah, but you know, they're not getting paid enough to know anyways. Yeah, but like, sometimes I say hummus too my other Arab friends here and they get so mad like, oh, it's man. like how you say ochre it's like i say alcar yeah <laughs> <or okra. laughs> 
But those people are not going to understand. What am I going to? They never will. Yeah. What do I do? Am I going to? What am I? Am I going to? I don't understand how they weaponize, like, the weaponize against you, you trying to say something right. As if it's like, as if it's like, but it didn't feel like how it dare like, you not double down on ignorance? Yeah, but it didn't feel like it was a lot of times it's just like they, they don't know. And they're like, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't understand what you just said, but it's like, but a part of you is like, yeah, but you should though. Yeah. You know, I always think about that one scene from the 40 year old version. I don't know if you've seen that movie, the 40 year old version. It's so good. It's so good. But uh, Kevin Hart, it's like, I think it was his first scene actually, or first like breakout role. And he was played like a little cameo and he goes in and uh, he's like, it's argumentative in this electronic store. And he says to the guy, he's like, okay, you're using a lot of big words. So I'm just going to take that as a sign of disrespect to me personally. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. And I was just like, yo, this encapsulates at least 64% of America right now. Right, right. That's hilarious. Oh, man. That is horrible. So, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this woman. I would just say that maybe not the best because... Is it so? Is it appreciation of the culture or is it appropriation of the culture? I wouldn't say it's either because it feels like she doesn't even know it's the culture. Oh, uh, elaborate. You know what I mean? Because she didn't... She... You know, if you appreciate the culture, you you mentioned the culture. You're like, oh, this comes from, you know, in the Middle East, this is how uh, women dance. This is how they, you know, contribute to their music. This is how they used to, she would say something about the culture. She didn't even say that it's a Middle Eastern Arab kind of dance. Like if you see, like imagine, I don't know, do you guys have like a tradition? I mean, you do have a traditional dance, but I forget what you call it. We have a we have a few like there's katakali, there's Bharatnatyam. My sister used to take Bharatnatyam classes. That's like the where they wear like the accordion uh, dresses, kind of, and they're like. Yeah, but what if like yeah? We okay, that would be funny to Indian people <laughs> that act out. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if someone was talking about it and not even mentioning that it's from there or anything like this is a great workout class i just feel so good it makes me feel empowered great for weight loss um we really develop great friendships here We're just like you know what we need we need goat belly dancing now or hot hot temperature belly dancing <laughs> or beer belly dancing i'm talking about yoga <laughs> um but yeah i mean besides besides that i mean i don't have a problem with seeing I, I don't think um, non-Arab women belly dancing. I think it's, you know, it's, most of the time it's just hilarious. It makes me laugh. So, and I also rarely see it. I've, I've, I don't think I've ever seen it live. Yeah, I've never weird. seen it live. I, it's I, never like a reflex, I think, for a white woman in the middle of the club to just, you know. I've only seen it live at hookah lounges or at horse. <laughs> I don't go to hookah lounges. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, I used to go to hookah lounges in Lebanon a lot, and I think we used to go to hookah lounges when we were like fifteen, and we would smoke hookah when we were kids. So, like, by the time I was like nineteen, I was so over hookahs. I was like, I don't want to smell them, think them, be near them ever again. I feel like hookah lounges are the things that, like, when you just moved to New York, people convince you to go to, <laughs> and then you, <laughs> and then that's about it. 
Yeah, I've never gone to one here. I mean, those are probably dead for a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but maybe, okay, so maybe the issue or, or where the tension comes from is the, yeah, go ahead, belly dance, go ahead, do yoga, do all this shit, right? But like yeah, holding yourself as an authority. What it is, yeah. Right, holding yourself out as an authority of it that can teach people it and certify people in it. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's problematic, right? Or Yeah, because what's weird to me is that it's just weird to me that that's the thing that you don't know at all and then suddenly you learn and then it's like your thing. You know, because yeah. to me, it's just part of, you know, we belly dance, we see belly dancers and we belly dance ever since we were kids at parties, at, you know, weddings, at, uh, you know, so it's just weird to me. It's just weird. Yeah. I'm, 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 again, I'm telling you, I'm like processing and I'm sure in a, in a couple of hours I will have more thoughts to it. Right. <laughs> but now I'm just like, I'm just like, you didn't even mention where this was from. You didn't like what is it you just take it like if you just let's take this at a more extreme level if you just take everything from other cultures you do them you don't mention the culture if you keep doing that and if you follow that logic that's how you erase heritages right the world isn't your sample buffet you know cultures are bigger and more dense than they are portrayed in epcot center yeah yeah so did I, did I answer your question? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I feel like that was a more clear cut case. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> but sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes I don't even know. It but, takes me time to process feelings and, 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 and thought processes about things like that. I just, I mean, kind of what, what I kind of want to do with this segment or what I'm going for really is like, I kind of want that surprise element or in real time processing and then maybe we'll start like cutting these clips up and having people discuss them. And, you know, if you like share it on your thing, you can put a caption that explains your feelings later kind of thing. Um, but like, yeah, no, this was wild. That was the first time I was watching that video too because I wanted to be surprised by it. Finally did the research. And yeah, I was like, what's going on? <laughs> that was a good, it was a good find by Fani. Yeah. Yeah, um, good job. <laughs> For me, like I thought about the yoga thing and they're actually teaching people to be teachers. It's not just a class you can go take. Yeah, you can be you come you can become a yoga instructor. Yeah, so you can now become, a to become an instructor. Yeah. How does that make you guys feel? Like do you guys is that a thing that you guys so talk about? The last episode we had Sonal on and right. um she she had a really good point about how these like people in India, these like older men, these babas, these people who are gurus, they love giving like Indian names to white people. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, you are Raghunath now. <laughs> and it's like, but it's like, they don't realize it's like you give them an inch of influence or authority. They they turn it into a whole business and like oh, monopolize the, the ownership of the culture. Yeah, but here's the thing. <clears throat> before I, I know we're like over time or whatever but here's the thing that I think happens a lot with immigrants it's like we think uh, I don't know how to explain this it's like when you're over there when you're in the country you have such a different understanding of what's going on in America than what is actually happening you know what I mean so when you're there you don't realize like I, I hadn't I didn't know the word appropriation before I moved here Right. Five years ago. So 
you don't realize these things exist because you or you grow up with just your people. You see little things on TV, on the internet here and there and whatever, but it's like not significant enough for you to really understand. So when, you know, Indian men are giving white people Indian names for them, it's just like, haha, it's funny, mm-hmm. cute, whatever, but they don't realize because they don't know what's happening on the other side of right. the ocean, you know? And it's, I, th- I think it happens a lot. And I feel like there's the Indians in India and then there's the Indians in America and they both live such different lives and they both see such different things and they both have like such a different you know experience with with their cultures and it's the same thing for Arabs like I meet Arabs that have grown up here versus me who who has grown up over there and we ultimately we're from the same place but also not not really because we just have such a different way where we grew up and we dealt with our cultures in such different ways I dealt with my culture as the, the my culture was the culture I was in right? I was a Lebanese person and I was in Lebanon. I wasn't a Lebanese person in another country. But if it's like a Lebanese person in America, they're they're an Arab in America. So they deal with their Lebanism, for like a better term, I don't know how to say it, in a different way. And so there are things that they're more sensitive, sensitive to than I would be, or things that they notice or that that bother them, or they, they notice appropriation or they've dealt with it for such a longer time than I have. I think uh, the term is, and Electra talked about this on like uh, one of our episodes, the term is biculturalism. So it's like you grow up immersed in two different cultures, but you have to compartmentalize them because you can't fully merge the two. You can't live an open, truth, truthful life where you can be both Lebanese and American, and those can be both of your identities that are wholly disparate yet work together. No. You have to be either Lebanese or American, depending on the situation you're in. And then, so it's like, that's why you, that's why growing up like this, you know, your code switching is effortless. Right. Because you have to code switch, right? You know, adapting and not sweating the small microaggressions and transgressions against you is effortless. You can compartmentalize that shit, but there's some, you know, entitled white dude from Mississippi that has guns that for the first time gets told he can't do anything. He doesn't have that mind to adapt. He's got the mind to shoot up a school or a theater. You right. Know? But, right. Like, but like, we're just constantly beat down that it's like, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, you're right to beat me down. Hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let me, I built this platform, but you should take it. Right. Right. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. This was not a funny episode. Okay. But Natalie's a comedian, a really good one. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a killjoy at parties. <laughs> yeah, as as uh indicated by her um Instagram comments. <laughs> and also it's true I am. Yeah, you kind of are. I do know you at parties and it's just like, oh, there's Natalie. She's just going to kill all this positive energy I have right now. But then, you know. Listen, I don't go to parties because I know I'm going to kill the joy. Yeah, but it's like sometimes there needs to be a joy sponge because then we get too full of ourselves. Yeah, you need some reality check. Yeah, that's who you are. You are a reality check. I'm here for the reality check. (laughs) Hey guys, reality's here. No, no, she's <laughs> reality check. Reality. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, but anyways, yeah, yeah. That was, that was a great episode. Thank you. Uh,